Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So funny story for everyone. Uh, we finished recording last episode of the podcast, and that was the episode where we had uh, the interview with Chris Peters spliced into it. And we actually pre-recorded that interview a few days prior. It was like uh, last Thursday, so um, the 24th. And uh, I was taking notes during the interview. I typically do that. Like I have my screen split, so I'm not always paying attention to what's happening on video. And so fast forward to Sunday, we finished recording the episode and Brad goes, oh, by the way, as you're editing the video tonight, you're going to have to scrub through my entire video. At one point, Mika walked in with absolutely no pants on because she's learning how to use the potty all on her own. Well, I won't get into the dirty details, but she she's not learning. Me. She knows that's what makes it worse. Oh, she knows. <laughs> no, she knows. How, how do I say this without getting too gross about it? She's a clean freak. <laughs> so she strolled into the podcast. She strolled into the recording, asked Brad for a check. <laughs> and then Brad obviously told her to get out. Check, um, please. <laughs> I missed all of this. And I'm like, oh, maybe it just didn't get caught in the frame. So I'm editing the video. I'm like, oh, yep, there it is. <laughs> right there. Uh, and so, yeah, for those who watch on YouTube, you'll notice at some point in the video to the lower right of Brad's quadrant, there's a winged wheel podcast logo that fades up just as his door opens and then goes away after the door closes. So that was hysterical. Uh, deleted all those videos from my computer. Um, yeah, you're on a list now. Well, being friends with you two, that was bound to happen. Anyhow, yeah, that's fair. uh, man. Today is a, a good fortunate day uh, for the Winged Wheel podcast. Two major pieces of Red Wings news dropped within hours of the podcast recording. But I just know this is good juju being stolen from future us around the draft or trade deadline or free agency or something like that. Like this is a pretty low impact day. And so for us to be using all of this luck on one day, ah, it's making me nervous. Well, if we want to go down the karma path, you could say the bad luck of uh, one of the hosts damn near slicing his finger off two hours before an important live stream. I think that ship has sailed. I I maintain you're going to have to lose a pinky to win the 2022 draft lottery. And that's a sacrifice that, Evan and I are willing to make. That's the lottery that is probably going to be worth it. But we've went over this. I've made my blood sacrifice. It's one of you that has to have a turn. Well... Uh, you know, Evan and I, really true bastions of personal sacrifice. So we'll uh, we'll either do that or pin you down and and do it for you. Come next year. Anyhow, uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Lots to talk about today, which we are excited to get into. I am Ryan Hanna. Uh, I am currently rereading a parenting manual, and nowhere in there does it explain how weird it gets. I'm Brad Crisco, and I'm Evan. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be talking about the news of Alex Tangay. Yes, that Alex Tangay being hired as the newest Detroit Red Wings assistant coach. Uh, we'll be talking about the recent news slash 
heavy rumors that Keith Petrozelli is indeed looking to uh, walk into free agency and not sign with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, we might get into the NHL awards, some playoff updates, a lot of NHL news before overtime. Quite a bit happened. Uh, before we do all that, of course, we do want to take this time to talk to you about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative, and it was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father, who you'll know as Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and give support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. It's an organization that we are really, really, really proud to partner with. Okay. What do we want, what do we want to start with? Keith Petrozelli or Alex Tangay? What's the lead off here? Tangay is probably the bigger story. Right. So, uh, with Dan Bilesma, you know, walking away from the team to seek other opportunities, Reed being let go by the Detroit Red Wings this offseason, the biggest hole that was left, aside from the obvious uh, assistant coaching position, was someone to manage the team's power play and offense. Um, Everyone who's listening to this knows the story of the Red Wings' power play last season. Um, it's actually what raised a ton of money for, uh, the Jamie Daniels foundation in one go. Um, but it was even with the context of a rebuild, just abysmal, not to mention uh, a constant storyline that we've been having on the, or a constant conversation that we've been having on this podcast is, you know, this team is moving to a very defense heavy system and that's totally fine, but there is a concern that it's coming at the expense of young budding offensive stars talent or uh, abilities especially in how they develop so you can have both but you need kind of those role people in the administration and on the bench um to manage that so the red wings and eisenman and blashill and eisenman recognized this was looking for an assistant coach who's going to manage those things manage the power play and manage um uh, kind of offensive personnel in that way and, and try to foster that growth especially with key players like zadina raymond will be coming up eventually um who knows who bergren will be coming in who knows who they draft this year it could be an eckland or you know kent johnson or another forward uh, there's a lot to work with that kind of needs to be good and not to mention you know, Dylan Larkin's production took a hit as well. Uh, they have another star in Verona who they'll want to keep hot. It, it is a key role, even if this team is going to skew more defensively as as long as they're a bottom feeder. Anyways, long story short, Alex Tangay, Colorado Avalanche legend, uh, who has spent the last two seasons coaching the Iowa Wild um, and apparently got some really good results there. According to the Red Wings press release, um, in his first season as uh, uh, behind the bench, um, as an assistant coach, I should say, uh, Iowa had the AHL's fifth best power play at 21.9%, which is a pretty good clip. And it had one of the league's leading offenses. Uh, and it was, you know, continuing to improve, uh, went from 3.08 goals per game in 2019-2020 to 3.15 goals per game uh, this past season. So long story short, Alex Tange is looking to fill this offensive role. Initial thoughts. Can't be worse. That's, that's yeah. like that's my in-depth analysis. Honestly, I was ready to try anything else with this offense. Um, I'm not going to read too much into what Tangay did in the AHL because it's it's a volatile league. Things fluctuate, especially in a weird season where teams are only playing within division. 
it's a positive sign, so not to take it for nothing. All I really know about Alex Tangay is he meets two requirements for the Red Wings bench. One, he was a player, played for a long time, and was a very productive player. And I think the important part of this is one of his assets as a forward in the NHL was he was a very cerebral player. He wasn't that fast. He didn't have that good a shot. He didn't have the best hands, but he was always insanely productive. So that's a pretty good indicator that he had a very high hockey IQ and thinks the game well. That generally is the type of person you want to be running power plays and systems and stuff like that in the NHL. So whether or not it pans out, I have no idea. But he's unproven and will probably come cheap. So this is the exact type of gamble I expected the Red Wings to make, and I'm happy they did. Will it work out? I have no idea. Here's hoping it does, but it's an outside voice with a a new perspective. And I did not realize this until I saw the press release because I only ever remember Alex Tangay wearing a helmet. He is also very bald, so he's going to fit in just well here. I swear to God, our coaching staff is the blue man group. (laughs) (laughs) Someone just get a can of spray paint and we're set. He's He's just a new member. You know, they had to bring somebody new in. Like this guy fits the the mold. That's I saw the picture. I was like, I don't remember him. Well, I mean, people go bald at different phases, but I was like, are we sure this isn't just okay? Yeah, no, this is definitely someone different. Uh, no, you're right, Brad. This is it's absolutely. We could have given Evan like four Ryan Cokes and sent him out any single night. We probably would have gotten better results than we than the Red Wings got under Bilesma last year. And it sounds exceptionally harsh, but when you go 40 straight power plays without scoring a goal and with barely trying anything new, yeah, anyone else would have been an improvement. Um, I don't – like I'm going to speak to the, the AHL results a little bit, but – I think Brad's caveat here is is good. Don't read too much into it. It doesn't guarantee success. The AHL and the NHL are two very different leagues. Um, it's much harder to score in the NHL than the AHL, which is the world's most obvious statement. But it is good that, you know, that's what he was tasked with in the AHL. Uh, those from the Minnesota Wild organization and their fans seem to be pretty disappointed that he's already left the organization. It looked like they liked him coming up the ranks. Um, and it, it in limited sample size, like only two seasons as an assistant coach, it seems like he's produced some good results. So that's great. Something else that's a little bit under the radar here that I appreciate. I'm glad this is someone new, first of all. It's not completely out of – it's it's a former player and he was, I believe, an analyst – as well with NHL Network or something. So, you know, he's been around hockey still, but it is someone new, which is good because like you said, Brad, fresh perspective. But also there's not going to be this constant conversation of, oh, this is absolutely who's going to take over for Blashill if Blashill ever gets fired or if Blashill ever leaves. Um, that gets a bit tired. I I never really understood that with Bilesma. Um, I think it's a little bit... I want to say lazy like i understand the speculation but it's not really how that always works with nhl benches like there's you're hard pressed to find a gm who's gonna so obviously place uh, a successor in there like they'll always consider those guys when the positions are open but it's not like they always hire the 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 next in line and they're always the assistant coach i think the red wings Maybe you are used to that because Blashill had a little spell in Detroit before he went back to down to Grand Rapids before he was hired again with Babcock left. That's how that went down, right? He was in Detroit for a short while, for one season as an assistant coach, yeah. Um, 
it just doesn't always work out that way. And I'm sure the team doesn't want that distraction either. So someone brand new with a fresh, fresh perspective still needs to build NHL experience. So there's no other distraction. They're literally just trying to make this team's power play and offense better. And to me, when you're, you're down to fundamentals, you're rebuilding fundamentals. That's what's important. So is this some earth shattering, you know, incredible revelation and Alex Tangay is going to be what turns this team around? No, absolutely not. But it's, you know, it's a good signing. It seems like they he fills a niche of what the team needs and it's an altogether good thing. So here's my top five reasons for why Alex Tangay is going to take over for Jeff Blashill. Piss off. <laughs> <laughs> One, he's not Jeff Blashill. Two, he meets the required look. Three, he was in uh, the building for the biggest shit kicking in Game Seven in NHL history. <laughs> okay, but yeah, no, it's it's exactly what we expected. As much as we had the pipe dreams of a Bruce Boudreaux or Ricard Gronberg coming in, it wasn't going to happen for all the reasons Ryan laid out. So, just the fact that it is someone with an outside perspective who seems to have a pretty good mind for the offensive portion of the game. This was all I was asking for. I am whelmed. So that's that's pretty much where I'm at. If it goes south, it goes south. They have time to figure it out. Um, but quite honestly, if it goes south, I don't think that's going to fall on Tangay at this point because Blashill's had more than his fair share of chances. So yeah, it's a, it's a worthwhile gamble is my ultimate take on it. It is funny that it's a, a Colorado guy. I think that's... Like, it doesn't really matter at this point, but it is funny that Eisman is hiring someone from an era in which Colorado was still very much a key rival of the Red Wings. They were both on the ice. I mean, Alex Tangay has first-hand perspective of what the greatest hockey team in NHL history looked like, and that was the 0-2 Red Wings. So he can just try and bring as much of that to this as possible. All right. Keith Petrozelli, uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> I was pretty big on Keith Petrozelli until we talked to Kat about Keith Petrozelli. I don't remember if we did that on the actual episode or if that was in our conversation afterwards, in which case I became very lukewarm on Keith Petrozelli. Um, it still sucks, though. There's not a lot in the system, so even if he was another dice to roll... You lose that for nothing, assuming this is true. Like, this wasn't one of a, a super massive outlet reporting the news, but who, the guy who reported it, I forget his name, does seem to be pretty in tune with NCAA hockey. So, I'll take yeah. it at face value for now. Um, so, I, I very quickly want to interject here. Um, this is something that we've almost su- suspected for a little while now, and... We didn't want to say much because obviously it's unconfirmed. We still can't really confirm this. Like this is the only indication of Petrozelli wanting to walk. But the story goes months ago, and we're talking months ago. I, I can't remember if it was like February or March. Uh, we actually had um, an interview lined up for Keith to come on the show. Um, we were very excited to have Keith Petrozelli on the show, especially you know he was really lighting it up in Quinnipiac, raking in the awards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, had everything all booked up. And uh, Petrozelli was a no-show on the call, which is totally fine. Like, it actually happens quite a bit more often than you'd think. Um, we usually <laughs> – we joke around. We have a percentage of how likely is this interview actually to happen because we haven't heard from the person that day. So, um, And, you know, he's a kid in college. 
I was extremely busy and also incredibly unreliable when I was in college. So uh, we just let the rep who we were working with know that uh, the interview didn't pan out and they seemed extremely shocked and uh, they were super apologetic. They were like, oh my God, so sorry about that. Like, uh, promise, like, we'll get this set up. When are you free? Tomorrow and or like these other days. So we immediately sent them back availabilities and then nothing. Reached out a couple of weeks later, nothing. Reached out a month later, nothing. Left kind of voicemails, nothing. And I was like, okay, you know what? Something is up here. And you know what? Interviews not panning out and people just not getting back to you does happen, again, quite a bit more often. And we don't put these people on blast because no one owes us their time or anything. Like other shit happens that's more important than showing up on a Red Wings podcast. Um, but the context of all of this one was a little bit funny. And so we've all always kind of suspected it. And the only thing that kind of kept it afloat was when Eisman mentioned at the presser uh, for the draft lottery, I believe it was, that NCAA players who were, have re- who were uh, at their four years and needed to sign had the option to extend to a fifth year because they missed out on their college experience and the team would still retain their rights. So the three options are sign with the Red Wings, go back to college, re- Red Wings retain your rights, or walk into free agency. If this rumor is true, and again, this isn't confirmation, it would track with what we have experienced, which is Petrozelli might be walking. And there, there's a chance here that it could be, if that turns out to be the case, it could be that the Red Wings aren't going to sign him. But I don't really think that makes a lot of sense because he is pretty much the only thing to speak for right now at the top of the Red Wings goalie pipeline. Um, I understand what Kat said, Brad. Uh, you know, it's not worth crying over they're not losing like a spencer knight level prospect but it's still not good to lose an asset like that also <laughs> watching adam fox win the norris i don't I'm not gonna say keith petrozelli is gonna win the vesna but i have to say calgary fans must have been livid watching fox win win the norris calgary or carolina fans honestly yeah that's true um it's not good. It's it's the exact inverse of a college free agent because I've had a hundred tweets sent at me about Strauss Mann and my response is always, it's never bad to sign a college free agent. It's an asset for nothing. It's free. Of course you do it. You could sign every college free agent. You do it. This is the inverse of that. It's never a good thing to lose a prospect for nothing. So even if I don't think Petrozelli was the answer, he was the best shot anybody in the Red Wings system had. Who is the top goalie prospect in in the system now? Guylander? Like, there's uh, Philip Larson's fallen off a cliff. Uh, Bratster, like, yeah, he's all right. Eliason, he's he's all right. Bednar, jury's still out. Guylander at least put up some numbers in the NCAA, so he's he's probably our best bet. But yeah, it sucks. The confusing part of this to me is. From Petrozelli's standpoint, I mean, man, there is no team in the league where any goalie should want to be a prospect other than Detroit right now because there is such a wide opening. Like, this was your best bet. A bad team with two old goalies and no other prospects to really seriously contend with right now. I have a theory. When my fucking say Wallstead, I'm leaving the episode. (laughs) No, I have a theory. When we were young, we had an uncle who was bald, and my little sister was horrified of him. And I'm just saying, 
maybe the Tangay news came out and Petrozelli went, okay, I can't do this. This is too much of one phobia. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, maybe he was worried about that Blue Man Groove knockoff. I don't know. I I don't have a good sense of this from any standpoint. Obviously, Detroit would want to sign him for all the reasons I just laid out. They'd be crazy if they didn't want to. Petrozelli should want to be here, again, for opportunity, unless he grew up, I don't know, a Predators fan, hypothetically, or a fan of pick a team, and he's like, I want to go there because I want to, which, you know, by all means, go for it. It's just another nail in the 2017 coffin of the one of the worst drafts in modern hockey history, but hey, it is what it is. Hopefully it works out for both sides, but uh, I don't see it working out for either side. Yeah, like what you mentioned, Brad, like it's a great situation to be walking into if you're a goalie, um, but he has to want to play there. And again, this is all working under the assumption. Watch, we're going to post this episode and he's going to sign. But this is all working under the uh, the assumption that he actually you know, doesn't sign and it was his decision. It's a great opportunity in Detroit. No one's really standing in your way long term. But maybe it's, a, it's the, not that he doesn't want to play in Detroit, but rather that he wants to play in only one place, you know. Maybe he only wants to play for Boston. Maybe he only wants to play for Colorado. Maybe he only wants to play, for, you know, in New York, whatever it might be. There's a there's a million different reasons, and you know they've they've played NCAA hockey for four years. They're wrapping up their degrees. They have a plan for what they want their lives to be. There's a lot that kind of goes into this thing, so it's easy to speculate, but it's also diff- difficult to to be accurate about it all. It is, it does suck, and I do think. You know, this the draft talk for this episode is going to be about goalies because it's. I, I think there's a chance it colors this draft. How much longer can the Red Wings go with this much of a depleted goalie pipeline? They have nothing, Change. Brad. Yeah, and this changes nothing. If you think Wallstedt is a future Vesna winner, which is an absolute rational thought to have, like he could be that good, and if you think he's going to be that good. Keith fucking Petrozelli isn't going to prevent you from drafting him. <laughs> Keith Petrozelli could be, might have an outside chance at being a fringe starter in the NHL. You're not going to pass up on a Vesna winner or a top 15 goalie in the league because you have that other guy. If you were going to take Wallstead a week ago, you should still want to take Wallstead today. If you weren't going to take him a week ago, you're still not taking him today. This changes nothing because they are two severely different category of goaltender. What this might force them to do, and this is kind of what I want them to do, and I've wanted them to do this all the time. Goalies are a crapshoot in the draft. There's been dozens of third, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks. That have turned into starting goalies. The Red Wings have what? 12 picks this year. If you want to burn three of them on goalies after you get your through your first like three or four picks, by all means, go crazy. Do it. If you if you feel the system is thin, scatter shot. Pick a bunch. I don't care. But it doesn't influence the Wallstead or Cosa decision at all. That's a dollar in the uh funding Evans back surgery swear jar, by the way. You can't just be going around swearing like that. I plan on going to a top 100, <laughs> maybe top 50 back surgeon in North America. Steve Eisenman, draft Jesper Wallstedt so Evan can get the absolute best in medical care. We'll start <laughs> looking at top 30, top 25 at that point. Oh, yeah. 
Um, it's very jarring. Evan's is to my right on my screen, Brad. And when he has his face shaved, I'm always like, who is on the call with us? <laughs> who is this small child? It feels weird. My face feels, I feel very naked and exposed. <laughs> um, a uh, thing that has happened to me is I, you know, as we age, we need to take care of ourselves better. And so I asked Mel, she does, she has a whole skincare routine. I'm like, Hey, look, it's working great for you. I see the difference in your skin. I can't do it. I'm not, I can't do that every morning, every night. What I need is something I can do in the shower and that I can also work into my beard. Like just one product. Can you just find it for me? Anyways, I have a skincare routine now. It's like four different products. You're glowing, I got, got, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Thank hey, you. I don't do anything either. I am very envious of the people who can consistently do those sorts of things because I'm not that type of person. So kudos to you and Mel and everybody else who's less lazy than me. You're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. Did I say uh, that? No, you just said you're not that kind of person. I just did a little bit of free oh, word association. Fair enough. Evan, your like thought everybody on- doesn't re- get understand the reference you're getting at, Ryan. <laughs> Well, Evan that's in asked. every third TikTok. Yeah, Evan oh, that's asked. why I don't, I don't get it because I don't have yeah. TikTok. Again, Evan's a true dad of this episode. Evan, I want your take. For you, does this change Wallstead as a pick at all? No, because where you'd have to take Wallstead is in the top. Well, if you're Detroit, it'd be in the top six. So, if you were dead set on Wallstead, it didn't matter what Keith Pet- Petrozelli was doing because you're taking him one way or the other and he would bypass Keith Petrozelli in a in an instant. You guys piss me off so much because your most rational arguments come on the most like legitimate topics and the only time I ever disagree with you is when we're like arguing. Well, I actually disagree with you a lot, but half the time I can't be I can't be pissed to argue and half the time it's about pizza toppings. Although, credit to you Brad, I had a pizza with chicken on it, chicken on it the other day and I got to say it was really good. Like, it wasn't that hot a take. That it wasn't the take you were making it out to be. I've said some stuff on here where you just sound off on me and it's valid and justified and I expected it. But when I threw that out there and you went off the deep end, I was legitimately surprised. So it's glad to, I'm glad to see you've come onto the side of, you know, rational. The, uh, uh, bring- the uh, pizza or chicken on pizza discussion is sort of like pulling it out from the vault that's like uh wing Bill podcast lore at this point oh yeah that's like that akin to you e- eating the pineapple on that one episode it's like um what's it with like the uh the trees or, or the ice where they like can see the levels if anyone ever comes up to us and brings up the pineapple or pineapple or chicken on pizza you know how long they've been a listener yeah yeah like the rings on a tree yeah <laughs> i don't know what you're saying at first what the yeah. hell is that even called i don't know yeah, there's a lot of, you count the rings on a tree, like carbon dating. There's a lot of shit. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. I'm not good with words. Um, I'm going to bring this back to Petrozelli, and I'm the one who railroaded this. Um, and it one thing I want people to take away from this is to not, first of all, nothing is confirmed, confirmed, but also there's a million different reasons why this might not have worked out. There's a chance it came from the Red Wings. There's a chance Petrozelli thought he was going to sign, but didn't like the way the negotiations were going. There's a lot of different ways to do it. but. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you guys. Whether or not you want to draft Wallstead, I don't think Petrozelli should factor into it. I never th- really thought Petrozelli was going to be the goalie of the future. I just thought he was the Red Wings' best chance in the system right now. Um, I do agree, though, with what Brad mentioned. 
there needs to be some kind of replenishing. And I'm not saying necessarily just draft three goalies arbitrarily this draft. I think maybe some more work should go into it. And if you think there's better goalies next draft, then that's where you spend the draft capital. But no matter what, I think a few more darts need to be thrown at the the goalie dartboard. I agree. And I think the biggest opportunity for that is going to be deadweight contracts, which sounds counterproductive, but Tampa, again, for all the jokes I've made, they're 18 mil over the cap, which means they need to shed $18 million before home opener next year. So they are going to have to shed it. Hugo Alnafelt, top goalie prospect in their system. Maybe there's something to be done there. It's a team in cap hell. They have Vasilevsky. They have no need for a goalie for a long time. So he's expendable. Vancouver, they're in cap hell. They just signed Demko to a long-term thing. Maybe you take a swing at a Mikey DiPietro for this in the same type of trade. There's opportunities like that out there, or you could look at Boston. I mean, they've got a glut of goalies um, between Vladar and Swayman, and apparently Rask wants to come back. So someone there is expendable. New York, same thing. So, you know, the draft is the most obvious and honestly the most likely solution, but it's by no means the only option for Detroit to to find a quote-unquote guy at this point. You know, uh, and this isn't picking up a prospect. I really like the Alnafelt thing, and that's something I hope it continues to be pushed because Tampa does need help because you can only ch- cheat so much. There's only so much you can kind of swing in terms of timing injuries with, with the salary cap. On the flip side, not a young goalie. I still think there's something to be done with Marc-Andre Fleury in Vegas. I understand he just wanted Vesna, but it's not really a secret that the team doesn't consider him a long-term solution and his cap hit is problematic for them next year. They need to do something to that team to to put them over the hump. They're in their cup window and is quickly fading and they would be happy as hell to get rid of his $7 million cap hit. They're a very gung-ho team in terms of who they bring in. Look at how they brought in Petrangelo. They're not afraid to make big moves. Even if the Red Wings don't re- like keep Flurry, even if they take him and then flip him at half retained for like a double acquisition of assets, I still think there's something to be done there. I think you were right on the last point of I think there's a chance the Red Wings are a middleman on a trade for Flurry, but you've read the same rumors I have. If he gets traded, we all know where he's going, right? Pittsburgh. Yes. <laughs> I was they have say a very Seattle. Un- no, that Pittsburgh has a very uncertain goalie situation right now. If someone was able to retain a bit of salary in exchange for like a fifth round pick, Detroit's in a prime position to do it. Um, I don't even think with how Flurry just won the Vesna, even at his contract, is he a cap dump at this point? He'd be a net positive to a team with a poor goaltending situation, assuming you're not taking on seven million dollars. Not so I don't think cap. I'd agree. Yeah, I don't think. Um, Flurry is going to be getting a first round pick out of anybody. Um, I do think there's going to have to be salary retained. But if you can get Marc Andre Flurry for one season at $3.5 million, which again means Vegas or another team has to retain, that's you are going to receive an asset for getting rid of Flurry. Like he, he's, it's not like when he went to Vegas where. Pittsburgh was in such dire straits, they gave up a second round pick to get rid of him. That's not going to happen this time around. That's going to be a quote unquote hockey trade. It's just the money part has to be worked out. And I don't think Detroit makes 
any sense in that equation other than being an intermediary because Fleury wants to win. Fleury wants to stay in Vegas. I'm sure if he had to leave Vegas, he would rather go back to Pittsburgh than anywhere else. I know Fleury and Bill Foley, the Vegas owner, is super tight. So whether or not that trade even happens, who the hell knows? But something's going to give, just not likely with us. What's his no-move situation? No idea, but... Because if he has a a, a no-move, then that obviously dictates quite a bit of it. But I don't know. I don't think... uh, Like 10... 10 team to say yes to or 10 teams to say no to? I guess when, no when you're a bottom feeder. Yeah, yeah, Detroit might be there. He won't want to go at this point in his, to, at this point in his career to one of the least cup contending teams, to put it lightly. Yeah, but this is one of those situations. Him and Vegas have such a good relationship. Like, he's tight with the owners and all that. I think they would ask him anyway. Like, hey, man, we got to get rid of you. Like, where you want to go, and we'll try and make it work. And if he says Pittsburgh or the Islanders or pick whatever hell team, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm sure Vegas would try to accommodate. It's so funny because I think you're right, Brad. Like, him and the owner are close. Like, the owner loves Flurry, but the owner loves also loves winning and just goes buck wild with his wallet to bring to get this team a cup. And he's done a good job. Like, he's got them really close in their first however many seasons, actually, hasn't professional hockey team in the nhl so to me it's like yeah it's nice to care about this guy but also jettison him so you can get a center to (laughs) win your team a stanley cup right i don't know anyways i can't help but think that every time but that's the goalie discussion for now um we'll see what actually gets confirmed with petrozelli but at this point you know don't be surprised if that is the case and annoyingly, Brad and Evan were right. It really shouldn't change your Wallstead opinion one way or another, whether you felt positive about Wallstead or you don't want the Red Wings to draft him. Okay. Uh, the NHL awards kind of wrapped up yesterday in terms of the rest of them being announced. Um, they were kind of being announced leading up until now, but uh, yesterday's when they kind of finished them up. So starting with Marc-Andre Fleury winning the Vesna, it was a tight race between him and Vasilevsky, right? Like they, it was like nine points or something in the voting. That was one of those awards. If it went to either one of them, I wouldn't have argued it. It's yeah. fine. I thought Grubauer being the third guy in was a little silly, but we all knew that third guy was pretty irrelevant in this race anyway. Yeah, that's typically how that goes. And you know what? I I actually want to say in terms of awards, getting it right isn't the right way to phrase it because they're subjective. But there weren't a lot of them where I'm like, oh, that guy was robbed this year. Like I I didn't feel – I felt this year was pretty on target in terms of who they recognize, especially people who maybe were a bit harder to recognize. Yeah, it was good. This this was the year where I I really noticed that whether or not it's just a changing of the guard, I don't remember the list of the PWHA voters, but th- this felt like the younger generation of hockey media took over or the quote unquote old hockey men that we always joke about finally saw the light and started. And I, at least a bunch of them started coming around because not that I, I disagreed with them. I actually agreed with most of the decisions, but I was shocked they actually happened. Um, like Adam Fox winning the Norris. I, yeah, I thought he should have won. I thought a thousand percent for sure Victor Hedman was going to win it despite having a subpar year by Victor Hedman standards because that's he fit every old hockey man narrative. Now he still finished third, which you know, whatever. Like I said, it's not a complete changing of the guard, but Adam Fox and Kel McCarr going one two truly shocked me, but in a good way. 
Yeah, Adam Fox, uh, you know, winning the Norris, not on a playoff team, that is quite literally unheard of. Um, Victor Hedman having a less than stellar second half to the point where even people who are legacy voters uh, couldn't ignore what Adam Fox was doing and what Victor Hedman wasn't necessarily. And this isn't to detract from Victor Hedman's overall prowess as a player, but yeah, Fox and McCarr, like, that's how I would have picked the top two. So, yeah, really great, I thought. And it's good to see Fox win. Also, what a haul for New York to have Fox on that team, man. Like, God, he's going to make so much money. <laughs> um, We did the Vesna. We did Adam Fox. Um, Rookie of the year. It was always going to be Kirill the Thrill. So, Kaprizov, Robertson, Nedeljkovic. It makes sense as that group. But, yeah, Kirill Kaprizov. It was always going to be nope. There was no real other argument here. I understand the people who don't like the 24-year-old who's played like six pro seasons already winning it. And I agree that rule is silly, but under the current rules as they are, yeah, it was Kaprizov and there wasn't – Robertson made it interesting, but it, it wasn't a debate. It was dollar dollar Bill Carrill for sure. Robertson made it really interesting though. Like I didn't even think it would be remotely close. He He brought it tight there. 99 out of 100 for Kaprizov, though, so it wasn't that <laughs> tight. 99 out of 100 for Kaprizov. Connor McDavid, 100 out of 100 voters for the heart. Unanimous. You know what I took away from that? Hmm. That was the first time there was a unanimous heart winner since Wayne Gretzky in 81-82. You're telling me for the rest of the 80s, Gretzky wasn't unanimous? What the hell were the people watching back then? Mario Lemieux? It, Lemieux didn't come to what, 86, 87? There's a solid four or five year window in there where Gretzky was just running amok with basically no competition. I saw. And before people come at me, I understand there was a lot of other good players in the 80s. But you're telling me the year Gretzky put up 215 points, he wasn't unanimous? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lemieux joined in the mid his rookie season obviously 100 points um, 84-85 that was the first year so I'm a, I was actually surprised it was 30 years before or since there was another unanimous one I'm sure there's going to be a lot of parallels being drawn there but it was the obvious answer you saw some people trying to galaxy brain it but I don't think anyone ever really had their heart in that argument um and then Gretzky also won it, I think, eight years in a row, if I can count properly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Mario <laughs> won it the year, and then Gretzky won it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you, buddy. That's, a, that's the longest we've seen you count on the show. Yeah. You usually stop at five. Uh, and then Barkoff as the Selkie Trophy. The Selkie Trophy, I thought, was pretty wide open. Like, there was a lot of people who you could have gone with, and I think that's the nature of the award. Like, it's just so... What's the be- is it truly the best defensive forward or is it the best defensive offensive forward? You know, because if it was the best defensive forward, then they might have like twelve points. Yeah, it was interesting because again, that was one of those other awards I was pleasantly surprised on because the Selkie for me has always always felt like the legacy award. Like, eh, just keep voting Bergeron in, and then as the runner up, and we'll give it to whoever feels like they deserve it. But man, like Joel Erickson Eck and other guys like him were up there in the voting. People took notice of the guys who are not necessarily superstars, but exceptionally strong defensively. So 
again, it was another award where, yeah, you can absolutely justify Barkov winning, and I'm not upset about it, but it was reassuring to see just how far that pendulum has swung, and it wasn't just Barkov, Bergeron, and, you know, pick one other guy, and then a chasm between everybody else. Anze Kopitar. He was always a classic vote in there. Isn't he... Well, he had a good. Well, he at least had a, a good start to the season. He had a good year, didn't he, Kopitar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, I, without even looking at it, I'll bet he got votes. Oh, definitely. Um. All right. So as we record this, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs are underway. Game two, game one has completed. So by the time you're listening to this, there's a whole other saga added to the the Cup finals. Um. Tampa Bay over Montreal in game one just absolutely routed them. Any major takeaways from that game, knowing that it's tied 0-0 with like five minutes into the first of this game? Montreal needs to be better. Hot take. Let me write that down. I'll send it to Dom Ducharme. Thank you. If Montreal doesn't receive some voodoo witch doctor luck, this is how every game in this series is going to look because Tampa Bay is just that much better than Montreal. So this went exactly how I thought it would. I'm just hoping it doesn't continue. I understand. And I do like I agree that Tampa Bay is substantially better on talent, but we've seen enough playoff series, right? Where all it takes is one thing to go wrong. For example, Kucherov, being fully out like if they manage to hurt Kucherov which they're going to try to do like, absolutely they're they're trying to figure out what's hurt on him and they're going to cross check it hard um Kucherov being out and then you just shut him down like Vasilevsky has one bad game Carey Price Carey Price's them they sneak by on a two goal win which they've done umpteen times this playoffs they're not the better team they're not the better team on paper they didn't play like the better team in game one but I can still absolutely see Montreal squeezing out enough to make this interesting. So I'm not so quick to write them off. That's the beauty of the playoffs. The better team doesn't always win, right? So I'm hoping for some voodoo. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I know a lot of people wanted to, or getting into some NHL news here. A lot of people were actually, you know, asking about Nugent as a free agent signing, what have you. Locked up for eight years in Edmonton, which was a pretty surprising contract. Eight years. At you know just over five million a year, full mo- no move clause, which is okay. First of all, the money, great five mil for for Nugent Hopkins right now. He's twenty seven or twenty eight. Uh, it's good money right now. <clears throat> it might hurt down the road, but at that point, you're either not going to be the GM of the Oilers or the cap will be way higher. Eight years. That term isn't fantastic though, and the full no move is oh man. I'm not ripping on Kenny. I'm not saying the contract's bad, but that is just the Ken Holland special right there. He is not capable of signing short-term contracts or contracts with no trade protection. He just is physically incapable of negotiating them at this point, and you can't convince me otherwise. Um, the contract on a whole, it's, you know, to go back to a age-old saying, it's fine. I, I don't think it's going to age well. But Edmonton should probably be contenders for four or five years still. You know, they have that McDavid fella. Nugent Hopkins should still be good to serviceable in that time, at least $5 million worth. But those back two to three years, eh, those are going to be rough, especially with the no move clause. But, you know, you say it's, well, salary cap will go up by then. 
not by much. Like they, they're talking four or five years of damn near a flat cap. So that is probably the window where it starts to climb, which means it probably won't be significantly higher than it is now. So if I was an Oilers fan, I wouldn't be super upset about this contract. I, I certainly wouldn't be doing backflips, but if you really think you're going to win in the next four or five years, this cap hit in those four or five years is advantageous to that. So if they can build around Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins and McDavid, this will be great. If they can't, it's going to just shorten their window that much more. Keeps the money low, which I think is important, right? Like It's not – it's going to be hard for this team to kind of navigate adding a ton of offensive talent. But that said, they have a lot more space now than they used to. Um, bringing him in at this low cost – what or bringing him in wasn't really viable unless it was a super low cost, which wasn't really viable unless they did this long, long, long term thing. So it's easy to rip on Ken Holland, but I understand why he gave him term this time. When he gave Abdulkader term, when he gave all those other guys term, I was like, there isn't really a point to that. But the Nugent Hopkins ones is actually kind of strategic. It's hard to make your team better when you lose Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the offseason. So within the context of you have McDavid and Dreisaitl and you should be winning cups soon. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm, I'm willing to take that risk. He just has the unfortunate history dragging behind him completely. Uh, if if Nugent Hopkins is able to play out this full contract, he's got to be close to the most games played as an Edmonton Oiler. Like, he's been on the team since what, like 2011? Yeah. He's got to so, be their most tenured guy already. Like, games played all the time, like in franchise history. That's what I meant. He'd be close, right? It, his contract goes to what, like twenty eight, twenty nine. That, yeah, that's, he'll he'll be up there. That'll be eight. That'd be eighteen years. <laughs> Woo! Did your math today, buddy? Good oh, job. <laughs> I didn't even have a coffee today, so this is very surprising. Lightning ma- bottle. Evan's the only one on this show with a degree in mathematics. Yeah, that's literally show you how useful math- it is. <laughs> Guelph grads, man. You guys didn't learn shit over there. Clearly. You guys don't even have, you don't even have working cabs over there. Oh, that is that is a definite fact. Yeah. Um Duncan Keith apparently might be traded to somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or the West. Speaking of Ken Holland. <laughs> you think that's Kenny? Pacific Northwest, an aging defenseman who's a husk of their former self and Every metric you want to look at shows is a terrible defenseman now, but brings good veteran leadership and it's won before. This is only Jim Benning or Ken Holland. I, it's not Seattle. It's not Calgary. It's not Winnipeg. It's not any team up there. This is Benning or Holland, and you can't convince me it's anyone else. Because unless you are getting an asset with Duncan Keith, it's a terrible move. If a team said, here, if the Hawks went to Edmonton, you can have Duncan Keith for nothing. It's a bad move for Edmonton. Like his, the eye test says he's not who he used to be. The somehow the underlying analytics are even worse. So yeah, this Benning or Holland, it's nobody else, and you won't be able to convince me otherwise. I hope it happens otherwise now because you spoke so confidently about it. I'm just. <sighs> I hope no one does Chicago a favor. Please stop doing Chicago favors. Please stop doing teams that have won multiple cups favors. They don't need your help. Please. 
uh, well, we'll see what actually happens here. All right. We have time for a quick draft prospect profile here. And on the topics, uh, on the topic of goalies, we've talked about Wallstep, but someone else who's come up as a possible contender as the top goalie in the draft is Sebastian Cosa out of Edmonton in the WHL, standing tall at six foot six. Uh, Brad, why don't you take us away here? Oh, the wild card of the first round could go in the top 10, could possibly be hanging around for Detroit's second first round pick. Not very likely. Uh, Most mocks I see have him going in the top 15. But once you get past a couple of teams in the 13-14 range, there's not a lot of teams looking for goalies. So stranger things could happen. But Kosa is the opposite of Wallstead. And I think we've touched on this before. Wallstead is that not super huge, calm, very technically sound goalie. Uh, Costa is a six foot six athletic freak. Um, that being said, he, he did have a lot of improvements in his technical game this year. Um, put up absolutely cartoonish numbers in the WHL, but that was in a limited amount of games for a very strong team in a very weak division. So it is worth noting. Kosa didn't come out of nowhere this year, though. He has a track record of being a top prospect. So it's not like him putting up these freakish numbers were an absolute shock to everybody. But the context here matters a lot, especially when drafting a goalie. Because we made the same argument for Dylan Genther. But obviously, when you go between the pipes, that just amplifies uh, those concerns even more. So I don't think Kosa is going to be in the cards for the Red Wings just because he's not... If you're reaching for a goalie at six, it's Wallstat. And I don't think he slips to 23. But stranger things have happened. If the Red Wings trade up, like, you know, four or five spots, if if he starts to slide, that would not shock me, would not bet on it. But that could be a solution. Um, this guy's basically Keith Petrozelli, but a lot better. You know, the, the big athletic guy who needs to refine his game. And now... At 18 years old, Costa's game is way further, way further ahead than Petrozelli's was at the same age. So it's not a one-to-one comparison, but just stylistically, we've talked at length about Petrozelli. So I think it's worth mentioning for a clearer picture. But yeah, um, again, I don't think he's going to be super relevant to Detroit in either of the picks, but he's going in the first round and almost certainly in the top half of it. Yeah, I think your, I think your description, Brad, of you know, almost being the inverse of Wallstead is apt. I don't want to say, you know, Kosa has no positioning the way that Wallstead is so supreme in his positioning, but Kosa seems to do the two things that aren't really, you can't really mesh together. He's massive, which you want in a goalie. It's simple. You just block more than that. But also he's super athletic and that's great. He has a lot of like, uh, I don't know. He's very twitchy. He's always like ready to kind of make a move. It's a little bit like you watch. You're like, oh, that guy's a manic. Like he's definitely a goalie. You have to be crazy to be a goalie and uh, and play like that. Um, the way he slides around his net and the way he's able to move his body, especially like on a dime as a play changes around him, I've found that was super impressive. Someone his size doing that when you watch other goalies and they kind of lumber, they lo- they rely more on 
being in the right place and, and puck tracking. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. If you're big, you can track the puck, you can position well, you don't need to scramble a lot. So Kosa definitely relies on his athleticism. Uh, I have seen notes in a little bit part of his game where he does lose track of the puck, but he's able to recover because of that athleticism. So if he, you know, is better able to anticipate play and position, it's not really hard for me to see why this guy's ranked so high. I'm not as certain that he's going to go in the top 15. Um I'm not saying the Red Wings should trade up to get him if he like reaches like 1920, but I think there's an outside shot. He makes it to, to 23rd overall. Yeah, I agree with you, Ryan. I think I feel like he will be there. I don't know really what um, the goalie needs are for the teams in front of Detroit at the the 23rd pick, but um, he could be interesting at 23. I, it's hard watching highlight tapes because Brad highlighted there's, low small sample size and he plays on an absolute wagon of a team so they're not giving up a lot of high quality danger high danger scoring chances so it's kind of hard to evaluate but yeah he's an athletic freak he is absolutely monstrous and he can move that well like that is just incredible um do you you guys nailed every sort of highlight about his game the only thing i sort of noticed was sometimes he gets a little too aggressive and comes out far to challenge a little too far to challenge shooters in the nhl you'll get torched when you do that so that's that's a very small gripe like goaltending coaches will work that out of a out of a guy in, in no time so um it looked like he's has a bit of a weaker blocker uh it looked like a lot worse a lot of goals were scored on that side but like once again, like if you've got a guy who's big and athletic, uh, and just has that raw talent, a, a good goaltending coach will work that in, out of a guy, no problem at all. So, do the Red Wings take a goalie in the first round? Oh, when you're not talking about the first pick, and you're talking about both picks. It gets a lot more interesting, <laughs> and especially with a team that has nobody anymore as a goaltending prospect. I would surmise that this guy could be an NHL starting goaltender sooner rather than later. I don't want to, you know, get ahead of myself because he does play on a stack team, but man, does he look good. So when it comes to the Red Wings pick at 23, here's why I don't think it's going to happen. So obviously we because know they took Wallstat at six. <laughs> exactly. But once you get past the pick six, there's a lot of teams that have, needs in net so if you think all of these teams are going to pass on goalie or at least all but one coast is not getting there because you have san jose at seven ottawa at 10 chicago at 11 dallas at 14 the blues at 16 edmonton at 19 minnesota at 21 i could see them all taking a swing on a goalie so i'm not saying it's impossible but i'm saying it's unlikely yeah edmonton is the one that's stuck out to me because what are they going to do? Go back to Miko Koskinen? Like Mike Smith's not signed and he's old. I don't and even know who their a, a, who their a, AHL goal is. I don't and sorry. And Edmonton has a better feel for Kosa than anybody. He's literally been playing in their arena the whole year. Uh, anyways, Mike Smith has been extended for four more years. <laughs> um, I will say, and this is something that, you know, is unfortunately going to make Brad happy. I am not at all averse to taking Wallstead at six. I actually think that we're not entertaining that notion nearly as enough as we, as, uh, as, as strongly as we should based on his level of talent. Shut up, Brad. 
Shut, uh, shut Get up, the Brad. Hell on my Twitter feed and say people aren't talking about it enough. Brad, I have you muted. I'm not going to get on your Twitter feed. Uh, anyways, I think that people should be seriously considering him as a good pick at six. But I think if the Red Wings are to take a goalie, I would much rather end up with an Eklund or a Johnson or someone else who's a skater and then Kosa with the second first round pick. I think that's almost like an ideal scenario for the Red Wings. I agree. Sadly. All right. That's a very fast uh, prospect profile on Sebastian Kosa, uh, fellow first ranked or first round ranked goalie alongside Jesper Wallstedt. So you'll be hearing plenty of his name as the Red Wings have two first round picks. All right. Let's jump in overtime. Midweek episode of the Winged Wheel podcast means overtime is Patreon exclusive. Um, our patrons are phenomenal people. They help support the show. Uh, they generally have really nice skin and they're much taller and cooler than Brad. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Nick Geyer says, hey guys, with the expansion draft coming um, and exciting things happening in Seattle, I can't help but think of the last expansion with Vegas. Seattle got it right by choosing the Kraken, but do you guys remember the rumored names for Vegas? One of my favorite names was the Las Vegas Spades. Can't help but think that would have been way more badass than the Golden Knights. Brad's laughing because I have one of the many hills that I choose to die on is that the Vegas should have been the Las Vegas Flamingos. It should have been black and pink as a color scheme and it would have been badass. But instead they went with... And like I understand that they're not necessarily going to do it. And I guess Bill Foley's business competitor like the the flamingo i I can't remember flamingo resorts or something something it wouldn't have made sense for them but the golden knights is such an objectively stupid name the only way it's saved is by those jerseys which are awesome um the whole shtick that they have going around the arena of like the fortress and the knight who does the pregame videos and the castle in the arena i don't care how stupid the name is they've made it work to the 10th degree it's Vegas. They know how to put on a show, right? Like I was, and that was never really in doubt. Uh, AJ Voss says tinfoil hat theory time. The NHL only created the job for Josh Richardson uh, to take the heat off them in the Blackhawks. It's all the timelines talking about. And it seems like such weird timing considering the league is in the one in the middle of one of the biggest events of the season for them. It's very NHL to try to distract the fans and deal the usual no business sense backlash they always get as opposed to responding to and making changes um, to the enabler slash cover up criticism they've been getting. That is, I'm not going to say that's definitely what's happening. Uh, I'm not even saying that's likely what's happening, but it's, you know, definitely on in the cards. Like you're right that that's where the conversation is at right now. Uh, Colorado 14er says, uh, which is the player, which is one player for whom you'd package two of the second round picks as well as pick 23 in order to move up to the 17, 17 to 19 range. Should he happen to fall that far? I mean, power veneers, I guess. Either one yeah. Of I, so again, just cause it's kind of an impossible question. Anybody in my top 10, um, but for anybody who's, likely going to slip to that spot they'd have to pass detroit at six right so if both power and veneers maybe that they're getting down to the mid-teens like that's not happening that's no i'm I'm saying detroit would have to have the opportunity to pick between those two and then for whatever godforsaken reason they fell another like 15 to whatever however many spots 13 spots going on the assumption that the consensus top 10 isn't there i don't 
think there's anybody I would consider doing it for, honestly. <laughs> Bullshit answer? Wallstead. <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's a player that separates themselves enough that I have any confidence in slipping out of the top 10. Like, it's just everybody from, like, 12 to, you know, the early second round are so closely ranked. It's not worth giving up an extra two seconds for them when you could take three guys in that tier instead. So, yeah, I, is there a world where Wallstedt falls to the mid-teens? Sure. If that happens, would I want Detroit to be aggressive to move up? I don't know if want would be the right word, but yeah, that would be the guy you would do it for. Um, also to everyone in the media, the poor kid who had to endure being sexually assaulted because of the Chicago Blackhawks cared more about the reputation than his physical, uh, and mental well-being. He was from a town in the upper peninsula called, uh, <laughs> Houghton rather than Houghton. I'm really guilty of that. I said it last episode. So, uh, I actually had someone correct me about it in the, um, comments. So thank you for that. Can't tell you how many times I've heard the latter pronunciation, uh, this week, but it's been a lot. Yep. That one's on me. I've done that one, or I did it last episode because I do a lot with names. I don't know why. Uh, Jonathan Melwish says, hey, guys, is there anything uh, from another major sport that you'd like to see in the NHL? Uh, yeah, I want to see the NHL advertise itself as well as Formula One has with its completely behind-the-scenes access to a TV show. They've done it before. It was called HBO's Road to the Winter Classic. Everyone loved it. Bring it back. But Ryan, Not they said bit. bad words in the NHL. They don't. They don't say bad words anymore. So they, no, they can't put that on TV. Well, as hockey players, we can all say we've never swore in the dressing room. You know, practically choir boys. Listen, if we had re- voice recorded my golf rounds when I'm not playing well, Ryan, you'd be editing for weeks, and there'd be nothing you could play. <laughs> we'd we'd ha- we'd get a sponsor and immediately get dropped. Right away. Yes. First episode. Anger management would be the sponsor. Um, number one, Steve Ott fan says, how will the hiring of one of the best playmakers of his era as an assistant coach change a power play that formerly featured a lot of standing in place and passing to the other team? I'm saddened that Steve Ott isn't coming home if Tangay's style of play is indicative of what we might see being taught to the young players we have on this team. It's a solid hire. Uh, when Holland used a first-round pick to trade for a below-replacement-level defenseman, Tampa set up multiple Stanley Cup runs with the goalie they used. That pick on, which turned out to be the 19th overall pick. Did you see that Keith is possibly getting traded to a team in Western Canada? What pick does Edmonton have this year if you remove Arizona from the equation? Oh, my God. <laughs> He's figured it out. Feeds into Brad's theory that uh, Keith is going to Edmonton. But if Chicago drafts the next goalie of the future, I will I will be punching through a window. That's my prediction where Wallstead ends up. Matt S. says, what do you three think of the ESPN announcement regarding their NHL crew? I'm happy Chelios made it as an analyst, but I'm sad BX didn't. Uh, anyone you would like to have seen that didn't make it, keep up the good work as always dubbed dubs. I mean, yeah, the, the dream was always to have Gary Thorne. You know, making calls as well, and that didn't happen either. Doc didn't happen. I like that Chelios came in. I thought that I think that'll be fun. Yeah, all together. They had a great crew. Yeah, they had a great crew. They had a ton, a variety of personalities, and which means we'll get a variety of opinions. They had, you know, the quote unquote old hockey men. They had the younger 
more analytically based guys. They had good personalities. They had former players. It it was a really, really good mix. Um, Very diverse, which was also a plus um, because, you know, not every broadcast has been like that lately. Uh, Yeah. I mean, no Pierre Maguire. Big win. They got uh, Ray Ferraro too. And I actually have, he's grown on me quite a bit over the past few years. Ray's always one of the best. Yeah. Yeah, Ray's great. And and they got him early. I'm really happy that they picked him up. Smart. Um, okay. This one's from Florida Man. It says, Ryan promised us a new sec- segment called BJ Time. So I propose an additional segment with a reoccurring guest called In the Closet with Rowan, where he talks about his jersey collection. I mean, Rowan, if you're up for it, um, <laughs> I think I've actually invited Rowan on a Patreon exclusive episode to talk about jerseys. Uh, question for Shay Weber. Since you're, since you're already here in the greatest of states practicing your swing on the No Eisman team, what do you say about joining me for a round at the wonderful Gator Lakes Golf Course before you head back to Montreal? Yes, there are real Gators on the fairways, but at least you won't get a $5,000 fine for hitting them. Hashtag make America Florida. Listen, I will play any golf courses anywhere at any time. It means I'm not working and I'm doing golf. I'm good with that. Do that golf. Woodson 2. When Evan's missing a foot, we'll know why. (laughs) That would be a great plot twist in the the podcast. Evan loses a foot to a gator. Um, Woodson 2 says, hey, Dub Dubs. uh, Hey, Dub Dub guys. What draft spot would you rather have? 2022 third overall or 2023 first overall? Oh, 2023 20, first. Yeah, that's not even a debate. It's not close. Uh, Give me Bedard over Savoy 100 out of 100 times. As always, we pray for Evan's golf game to come back to him. Duncan Cooper says, hey, fellas, thanks for the amazing interviews lately. What a treat. Um, my question is, a few weeks ago, uh, you or a guest, I'm not sure, mentioned that Eisman has made some behind-the-scenes moves in terms of player development. Do you think? Uh, do you have any more insight on what that means or where he might be making changes? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of what's visible to us, like there have been a lot of personnel moves from the time Eisman came in. He kind of let the first draft happen without too much being shaken up, then changed up the pro and amateur scouting group in obvious ways, brought in strength and conditioning, rearranged some people, um, in terms of stuff that's kind of happened beyond that, there's not really a lot that's released. It's a different administration, Eisman, as opposed to Holland, in terms of the information that gets out. <laughs> That's just kind of been the running shtick. Uh, Max Lightman says, watching Weber give an unpenalized two-handed chop to the back of Kucherov's knees in a game that's out of hand, reminded me of Weber's unpenalized two-hand slam of Zetterberg's head into the glass in a game that was over. I get Ryan's point that the Habs winning would be hilarious, but it would also mean a cup for Weber, Corey Perry, and Alex Burrows. Rooting for that may be an indicator of sociopathic tendencies. You're not wrong, and I actually try to actively block out the, the head slam from my mind. <sighs> That's one of the biggest miscarriages of gut justice that there's been with between the Red Wings and the NHL. Um, good day in the closet with Rowan. God, you guys move fast. Says good day, dud duds. The aforementioned segment is available to only the highest level Patreon subscribers and is a sixty nine dollar per episode sub. This gets you behind the stuff scenes. Look, uh, look. Look into fonts, factory customization versus proper customization, stitching, as well as how to spot fake jerseys. Sign up today using promo code YEET420, and we'll throw in one punch to BJ at the next meetup, a.k.a. Dud Dud Simp Fest. Uh, Petrozelli, well, isn't 
that just the final nail in the coffin that was a display of unbelievable and complete ineptitude by Tyler Wrong in his 2017 size draft. I wonder if we'll ever stop being mad at this and move on. Probably not. What a heckin' mess. Okay, dummies. Uh, Brad or BJ, you're arguing for the pro here. Crying, which is me. Uh, you're going against BJ. Argue why the Wings should draft a center at six, even if, and in this example, let's use McTavish, isn't the best consensus best player available. I'll take uh, BPA and I don't care, uh, or Rowan doesn't care who the pick is, but argue why an Eklund, Clark, Ken Johnson, Wallstead is the right call over positional need. Assume Power, Beneers, Genther, Hughes, and Edmondson are gone. All right, Brad, argue in favor of McTavish. I think he did this on purpose because I think he knows our opinions are more or less flipped on this. So my argument against myself here is that the Red Wings are deep at wing. Um, the center position is the most important position in the game of hockey in my mind. They do not have a good succession plan right now uh, to Dylan Larkin uh, whenever his game starts to tail off. I do like McTavish. I would be very okay with him as the pick at six, even if he won't be even if he isn't quote unquote, my best player available at that time. So I'm not going to flip tables. You can succeed in the NHL as a slower centerman as O'Reilly and Couturier and several other guys have proven, but you have to be very elite in other ways. Uh, You could argue that McTavish's shot is elite and amongst the best in this draft. Actually, you should argue that. Um, Yeah. I mean, it fills a direct need. It, Puts the Red Wings in position to have a very good top six without any holes for a very long time and still have a decent third line with Valeno and let's say Bergerin's the guy, the odd man out there. It makes sense. Again, I, I think that it sets the Red Wings up pretty well if they do take McTavish. So the thing with best player available for his positional need is that positional need is such a snapshot in time it's so transient and it's so easy that to say like yeah we need a center we need a winger we need a goalie we need it now and the reality of the nhl is is like chris peters mentioned actually it's not the nfl where these guys come in and make an impact right away so you really have to strike a lot of things right to draft a positional need and have it actually be the best pick not to mention guys like eckland and kent johnson and wallstedt just present such fantastic opportunities to inject this team with a huge amount of talent considering how much of a lack of top-end talent there is in this draft. Eklund has a chance of sticking at center. Even if Kent Johnson doesn't stick at center but he pans out as a player, you have probably the most skilled player in the draft. And Wallstedt could be the next top 10 goalie in the NHL to be drafted in the first round. Those are all things where I'm saying, yeah, it's okay if the Red Wings don't get a center for this draft because they are a much more sure bets to pan out, to be better than McTavish quite possibly, uh, and B... They might actually end up filling a need down the line that doesn't isn't as apparent right now. It, it, building a team isn't cookie cutter. It's never perfect, and there's a lot of ways to do it. The Red Wings solution at center by the time they're competitive might be to sign a guy who's 27 or 28 for probably more money than he's worth on the free market, but that's kind of what puts them over the hump. And him along with Larkin and maybe Valeno as the third line center is what uh, is a good enough center depth for this team to compete for the cup. So that'd be my argument for going. It, like I'm of the mind that Eklund uh, and 
Eklund is is probably the better pick in my mind over McTavish right now. Um, and Wallstead and Kent Johnson are there. So there's just too many checks in that box for me to to say definitely they should go with positional need here. The whole time I was arguing, it was hard not to argue against myself as per the rules. But I, I you did actually make one point that I can argue about the timeline. If you, I agree with that. It's a snapshot in time, and you can't project what this team's going to look like in four or five years. That argument is true for any pick you make outside of the top ten. If you're picking someone in the top 10, they better be on the team in one or two years or something went very wrong. Um, generally speaking, obviously, pandemic circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. I understand that. Um, but yeah, we know the Red Wings farm system. We know, have a pretty good idea what the prospects are, what who they are, what positions they play, and what they're going to be in a year or two. And most of them are still a year or two away outside of a very small amount of guys. So... The snapshot in time for the next year or two for the Red Wings is relatively clear. And Iserman's stance of not signing big name free agents has been relatively clear. And he's been very transparent about that. So the argument for taking McTavish at six is there's a good to decent chance he is the best second, the second best center on this team in two years. So I don't think the Red Wings are contenders from there, but I, I think that hole will still be there by the time he gets there. So that's just kind of the counter to that for the sake of this exercise. All right. The Jersey question here is Montreal's reverse retro versus Tampa Bay's. Incredibly close. I've come around to Montreal's. I think Tampa Bay's is low-key one of the best, though. I hate Tampa's current jerseys so much that anytime they go to the retroverse, I'm ecstatic. Um, but Montreal's is just so clean. It's, I, I really, really like it. It's, I mean, their current home jerseys are one of the best jerseys of all time, and it's the same damn jersey just with the colors inverted, and it works. So I have to go with that one. All right, Vax Wax and 18 mail over the cap says, hey, fellas, how many more sleeps, t- sleeps till Regis Pierre Maguire's no more? It's almost like Christmas morning. I'm with the niece this week. She's a darling and a gem and fascinated by bald, uh, bearded douchebags such as myself. You'd think it's the diapers that are gross, but actually it's the spittle. Everywhere. Everything is covered in spit, which means Brad has been covered in spit for years. I think that's accurate, Brad. Uh, now that Tangay has been hired, the entire Wings coaching staff is completely bald. Time to beef up my resume. Uh, I'm unabashedly all for McTavish and make no bones about it. But given the news of Petrozelli going to free agency, you've got to think the odds that Steve takes a gamble on Wallstead have ticked a little higher, right? Aussie for Hall of Fame. Stay fresh, cheese bags. And we chatted about that earlier this episode. Um, Logan Couture's broken ankle says, does Brian McClellan still make the Mantha trade today? I think he does, but maybe he doesn't pay so much. Mantha wasn't bad for Washington. He was not exceptional. He he was basically exactly what he was for Detroit this year. That coaching staff still hated Verona, so I don't think Verona does in Washington what he did in Detroit. So, yeah, I still think he makes the deal. Quaz says Central Valley in California is hot. 
40 degrees Celsius, 104 Fahrenheit, but I'm out of Mississippi, so that's good. I'm curious to see if Montreal can dictate the better in ga- uh, dictate the game better in game one. They are through one period, and the score is 0-0 zero, zero for now. So with that, we're going to end this uh, episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We will be back with you on Sunday. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in and for supporting the show. We'd like to thank our name-level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Gron Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Brendan M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacy Lynn, Zach Spring, Zach Bustin Hyman, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, BJ Crisco, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets, Stan Olson, the 20 centimeters of justice, Trevor Pebovar, and Vaxed Waxed and 18 million over the cap. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.